Angelic, what's the smallest town you've ever lived in? Um, I think probably my, what I consider my hometown. Um, it's maybe 35,000 people. Okay, but it's part of a larger metro area, correct? It's like an hour north of Boston. Oh, okay. But it's pretty small. It, I think at one point was the smallest city in Massachusetts. Oh, really? There's no yeah. town in Massachusetts smaller than 35,000 no, people? No, they like, they split it up towns and cities. Uh, Do you know what I mean? No, I mean, I've never yeah. heard of that before. Yeah, so it was the smallest considered a city uh, in Massachusetts. And it's, I don't know what size it is still now. Um, I mean, this is when we moved there. So I, I was born and raised in a relatively big city in Massachusetts, and then we moved to Concord, Massachusetts, and then Newburyport, where I was through high school and college, and my mom still lives in that area, right in that area now. So that's why I say where I'm from, but I think that's the smallest place I've lived. What about you? Well, when I was a kid in South Dakota, I only lived in small towns, so I first lived in a town called Garrettson, which has maybe 3,000 people in it. And then we wow. moved to an, to an even smaller town called Mission Hill, which only had about 300 people in it. So I actually attended school first grade through fourth grade in a literally a two bedroom or two bedroom, two room schoolhouse with 25 kids in the whole school. So my class was the biggest. We had five kids. Wow. you This, this is like Little House on the Prairie shit. Well, literally, because it's South Dakota, which is where yeah. Little House in the Prairie was. That was Nebraska, actually, I think. But it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. We only had one paved road in our whole town. It was uh, the main road through town was a highway. That was the only paved wow. road. Everything else was gravel. So um, I thought it was fascinating. You know, we're talking about a movie today that takes place in rural Iowa. And there's just it's exactly like the huh. place I grew up, you know, or until I was in fourth grade. And then I moved to Gresham, which is a suburb of Portland, Oregon. And it was a huge culture shock. It was totally different than anything I'd ever seen. Uh, yeah, I think Little House is in Minnesota, even closer. Right? To I don't know. I thought it was Nebraska. What do I know? Um, yeah, I was wrong. My hometown population is 18,000. And I lived in Concord, which is 17,000. So I'm correct. It's 17,000 people, which seemed pretty small town to me. Um, compared to like Boston or Lowell where I was born. Um, mm -hmm. Did you, I mean, are your memories of living in such a small town good? You were pretty little. I mean, there were good memories and bad memories. It's weird because, you know, as a kid, there's no like value judgment on the town. I'm just, that's yeah. my reality. But I do have weird memories. Like there was only four or five kids in town. The rest were all farm kids who lived around town. So like in town, there's only three or four other kids. And one of them was a bully. And so I have these really distinct memories of him bullying all the kids, not just me, but like everybody, including some time I was playing on my front yard and his parents, he was like a fourth grader, a fifth grader. His parents gave him a dirt bike, like a motorcycle. And he came within like a foot of running over my head in my front yard because he was terrorizing us. Like he was a horrible seed. And like, that's some really strong memories I have of, of that. Or like, trying to walk from my house to school or walk to the grain elevator because they sold sodas there, but avoid anywhere that I might run into him because, you know, and our parents, this is a totally different era. Our parents were at work or doing whatever. It was just, yeah. And you're on your own with, yeah. They were just like, deal with it. You're on your own with those situations. Yeah. 
from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., it was just like a lawless Wild West town. You know what I mean? Avoid avoid Richard Huber at all costs. He was like your Nellie Olson. Yeah. Which, he his... Walnut Grove, Minnesota. Nellie Olson. Um, huh. Yeah, I don't, you know, I get really kind of nostalgic for small towns when I go on vacation and visit home. And, you know, you romanticize when you're on vacation because it's so nice. And it's so different from where I live now. But then I find if I'm there like 10 or more days, I'm like, this is really small. Yeah, uh, We've gone to the same restaurant several times. <laughs> I miss Portland. I miss, you know, being in a city where you can just do new things all year. No repeats. Well, and then there's also the people factor. You know, I was talking about the bully thing. It's like, you, I'm sure you experience this. Everybody knows everybody for better or worse. Like there's some cool small town stuff where people support each other, but they're also so hard on each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's some people from high school I wouldn't mind running into now and then, but others you're like, oh God, there's a really good chance at the grocery store you're going to see three or four people you know, and that's not necessarily a good thing. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but Maria Bamford has a fantastic routine where she talks about running into a bully of hers at high school who then continues to bully her in their adult interaction. And the punchline to the joke is she's at target. When this happens, the punchline of the joke is the other girl says cash or credit because this girl who's done nothing with her life is still bullying Maria Bamford. Who's a very successful comedian. <laughs> It's just like how it never changes in a way, you know? It's true. It's true. They peaked in high school for sure. Welcome to Film Swap, the podcast where we challenge each other to watch the movies that we've let slip through the cracks or purposely shoved into the cracks for whatever reasons. I'm Angelica Thornton. And I'm Nick Bull. Today we are watching and talking about the bridges of Madison County. There are images that lie within my heart. Images with the power to recall the warmth of a summer's night. The stillness before a storm. Reminding me of the first time I ever saw him. You go. When he stopped and asked directions to Rosamond Bridge. A moment when there was nowhere else to go. Except towards love. Warner Brothers presents the most passionately read love story of our time. Clint Eastwood, Meryl Streep, The Bridges of Madison County. The Bridges of Madison County is a 1995 romantic drama directed by and starring Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep. It's based on a 1992 novel by Robert James Waller. Uh, the screen screenplay was directed by Richard uh, Lagravenese. I don't know how to say his last name. Should have looked that up. That's good. Uh, good enough. Uh, the film He's is a writer. Who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. The film is set in 1965 in Iowa. Meryl Streep plays Francesca, an Italian war bride who lives with her farmer husband and two teenagers on their farm. The rest of the family goes to the Iowa State Fair and Francesca meets a National Geographic photographer, Robert Kincaid, played by Clint Eastwood. 
he gets lost and stops at her farm for directions as he's looking for some historic covered bridges to photograph. One thing leads to another, and they have a very intense four-day love affair. Uh, at the end of the week, Francesca has an excruciating decision to make, run away with the man who is clearly her soulmate, or stay with her family uh, to protect her kids and her husband, who's a good guy but doesn't really rev her engine anymore. Uh, she chooses to remain with her family. Years later, when her husband dies, she looks for Robert. Uh, she eventually learns that he died a few years after her husband and left uh, his belongings to her. His ashes were scattered from the Roseman Bridge. We look back at this affair through the eyes of her son and daughter uh, as adults who, who learn about it after she dies. Uh, and they're settling her estate and they discover her journals. Uh, they don't understand why she wants to be cremated and have her ashes also scattered from Roseman Covered Bridge. And then they uncover why and were along for that journey. Uh, Streep was nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars for this film. I know you hadn't seen it and Marissa wanted to watch it. Um, is this just something you were just kind of, eh, it just kind of fell through the cracks or... Were you waiting for a special occasion to watch the bridges of Madison yeah, I County? Was. I was waiting for its 50th anniversary. No, um, <laughs> no, I mean, it came out in 1995. I was a junior in high school and there's no way in hell you would have gotten 17 year old me to watch this movie. It's just not for teenagers, obviously. Uh, so that's why. And then, you know, it passed and I just, it, I, part of it is because it was such a huge pop culture phenomenon. The book and the movie were just enormous but it was also like the whole thing is seems so corny and romance novelish that I never wanted to watch it. But I will say that, and we'll get into this, my expectations were not reality, which was good. I mean, I enjoyed this movie. Um, it's still not a hundred percent for me, but I appreciated and enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear you say that. I've watched this movie a couple times. I can't remember the first time I watched it. I don't think it was even close to 1995, and I don't remember why, but I have watched it, and this is one of those movies where if I'm in the right mood and it's on, I will leave it on if I'm flipping through the channels and I see it. Um, this is the first time I've watched it as a woman in my late 40s, and I was surprised by how much I appreciated the maturity um, of the film, like it, literally the maturity of the characters, seeing a woman my age, uh, she was actually a few years younger than me when they filmed this. Meryl Streep was, I think she was supposed to be around my age. I'm 49 now. Um, and it was great to see a love story between two older people, a woman who's barefaced and beautiful and natural. Um, so that was kind of refreshing because everything now is so filtered and everyone is so perfect. Even when you watch films um, portraying older women and men, they're just so perfect. Like all the Diane Keaton movies. I mean, Diane Keaton's great. She's always herself, but she looks, she still looks so perfectly airbrushed and perfectly styled in all those movies. You know what I'm talking about when she has a house in the Hamptons and everything's so perfect. So it was kind of nice to see this because I felt like it was more raw and more realistic. I love this movie. I think the acting is great. Um, and it really, watching it again, it underscores how special I think Meryl Streep is. I think she's got great chemistry with um, Clint Eastwood. 
this is just one of those films that I just watch. And then I think about that night and I think about when I wake up the next morning. And I think that's a sign of a good film. No, I agree. Well, first off, before anything, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it was last week, yeah, right? It what? was. Um, I'm 49. I have one more year, one year left until the big 50. And this is the first time that I really don't care. Nice. I'm sort of like, whatever, age is age. So thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, it's, it's, uh, I, hope you, I hope you had fun. I know you had some champagne and pizza. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I had to work on my birthday, but then I came home and have, had half a bottle of champagne. So that was kind of cool. Still trying <laughs> to figure out what to do next year. I have a year to plan it. Yeah, you should throw a big party. I do not want to be on, on U.S. soil for my 50th birthday. I want, to, I want to go somewhere big, but I haven't decided where that's going to be yet. Um, well, you know, if you throw a party in town, I'll come. If not, I won't. Uh, for sure. Let, for the movie here. Uh, sorry, I kind of de derailed this here. But yeah, there's so you meant you touched on so many topics here, but I'll start with Meryl Streep. This movie doesn't work at all if anyone else is this character. I mean, I read originally you're talking about Isabella Rossellini and she would have been great, I'm sure. But Meryl Streep elevates this movie so much. You You like her. You empathize with her. And let's be honest, she's fine as hell in this movie. Like she's gorgeous. This is her, like, this is the most attractive I've ever found her in a movie. And it's maybe that's because I'm getting old too. And she's like my age in this mm -hmm. movie. But like, uh, yeah. So, so I think none of this works without her. Um, Clint Eastwood is fine. I think he's way too old for this character. Like, I get that he's supposed to be a little older than her, but he's 76 years old or something. It's just, it's a little weird. But he's good in it. I just it, that that threw me just a smidge. But I guess I always think it's kind of weird when I see in films these gigantic age gaps. So, yeah, that, that's something. But uh, yeah, he, he must have been at least I think. Well, he had to have been in his 60s when they filmed this in in the early 90s. Let me see. I thought it was he's in, in his, his 90s seven. now. He was well, born in 1930. Make... So he was 65 when they made this. Yeah. And she's supposed to be mid 40s, probably. I think he's supposed to be in the 50s in the film, even though Clint Eastwood was in his 60s at the time, which makes it a little bit more believable. But it's hard because we know how old Clint Eastwood is. Yeah. And I, I think in 1995, people did look older. So he could pass for a 55-year-old back then. I mean, look at the dad in A Christmas Story. I yeah. think he's supposed to be in his early 40s and he looks 70. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and like he's believable and likable. And I did like that we get a side of Clint we don't get in most movies. He was so and I, I have a feeling it's closer to his real life, you know, personality, just a more sensitive and soft spoken guy. Um, and I appreciated one of the things I very much appreciated about this movie is it presented this image of masculinity that isn't macho in any way shape or form like the dude was absolutely like manly as hell but he wasn't cruel he was very sensitive he, you know what i mean he he was just an open book and i think that's a great thing to put on screen because you don't see it that often i just i mean like anyone's gonna fall in love with his character you're right he had the perfect balance of masculinity sensitivity when he says, when he stops and, and he opens up to her when they're just talking in the kitchen or he says, we're not doing anything wrong, or when he's hurt, when they're getting into an argument, you can tell she was kind of lashing out at him. And he says, this isn't fair. He says it with such sensitivity that you're like, heart just melts. 
-hmm. he played that so perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's cool to see. And I, and I think maybe that's a function of what you were talking about. This is a mature love story. These are, these are adults. They're not youngsters in love. They are, you know, people who've been through some stuff and have a little more perspective. And it's, it was interesting to see. And, and I think there's so many elements of this film that could have been incredibly corny or cheesy, but the earnestness with which Eastwood directs it and they act it, make it human and believable. Yeah, so it's supposed to be way better, way, way better than the book. I haven't read the book, and I probably never will, because the reviews that I've read are just awful, and it is very corny, and people were shocked that he elevated this story to the level that he did. And I think that was editing. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like editing in the writing process, not the film. Absolutely. Editing, but, yeah. but yeah, it's it's identifying the universal themes that are present, I'm guessing, in the book that are very clear in the film and taking away schmaltz and corniness. Mm -hmm. And it's just about two people. The the thing that I, the one thing that I would criticize about the writing is I absolutely hate the framing device. I don't give a damn about her kids and her I act, actively hate her son, Michael, like he's an asshole and he's supposed to be redeemed at the end. Cause he goes to his wife after being MIA overnight and says, Oh, I want to treat you better. It's like, that's no, that's, that's sort of almost the opposite of what we're seeing in the rest of the film. You know what I mean? This idea that you can just be a better person or like not be an asshole or I don't know. He, he's a I bad. I agree. Friend. I agree with everything you just said. It stood out to me so much. In fact, I texted you and said, I can't, I forgot how bad the beginning of this movie is. Mm -hmm. The framing device of this film is bad. The whole beginning of the film with her kids, I thought the acting was bad too. I mean, it was like this bizarre, like lifetime movie from the 90s kind of acting, especially with her son. Hated his character. He sucked. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't like the ending with the kids either. I don't, I just, it just seemed contrived and corny and such a stark contrast to the genuine dialogue and the pacing when we go back to the sixties and the level of acting, it was just, it was just too much. It's, it's two different movies. It's a sensitive nuanced drama about two adults falling in love and having this moment. And then it's an after-school special with the kids like, Oh, mom's boning. That's disgusting. Which obviously it would be, but you know, like, and then the, Oh, I'm a different person. It, like it just, didn't make any sense and you didn't need it that's the crazy thing to me you don't need it you just need these, these two people and that's all you need you know what I mean yeah I'm actually surprised that I think obviously Clint Eastwood is such a good director I'm surprised he let the, first of all I'm surprised these two were cast in those roles particularly the, the male actor I don't remember his name but how did they let that slip through? Maybe they just thought the rest of the film would make up for it, but it, I don't know. I, I think had they, had they framed it a little differently, this film would be on a different level. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's, it's two hours and 15 minutes. And if they slice out that half hour with the kids, it's a perfect hour 45 of really intriguing, moving story. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I also noticed watching it this time as someone who's been married, you know, 17 years and, you know, I've never gone through this experience, fortunately, but it's really tough to portray infidelity 
if you're whether it's a novel or a film uh, it is easier if the woman is the cheater like in this case with francesca but it's still really tough and i think this job did an this this film did an incredible job of illustrating how marriages become stale uh maybe it was a mistake marriage maybe she just wanted to leave italy like she said and get to america but the people involved still cared for each other there's no villain here um it's basically francesca's pull of wanting this bigger life more passion it's irresistible it happens it makes the case for infidelity which is really hard well i mean dan savage if are you familiar with savage love dan savage he talks about this sometimes he's an advice columnist a famous one and yeah. just talks about how in some marriages this is the sort of thing that has to happen to save marriages i mean i'm not agreeing with him necessarily but you see the pull you mean you see like i mean anybody who's been married a long time knows it's not the same at year 20 as it is at year one but that doesn't mean like love isn't there and and also like her her situation is so unique with the war bride you know you don't know whether she just wasn't he was a nice guy that she wanted to escape with and that's it or if she ever did feel any kind of passion or love for him real you know deep love and so that that, yeah. that to me adds a lot of like nuance to the film because it's not so simple. She's not just a bored housewife. She's somebody who was taken yeah. away from the opportunities that she wanted to have in her own life that she sacrificed to escape Italy. Yeah, for stability. He provided stability and love, but a different kind of love. Esther Perel, do you know who she is? Do you know who Esther Perel is? No, no. She's she's a, like a pretty famous therapist now, and she's written a couple of books and she does TED Talks. She's awesome. She talks about marriage mostly, but also just you know, interpersonal relationships. And she has done a ton on marriages that survive infidelity and how they're stronger after this. And this would be one of those perfect cases. Although I don't think this happened to Francesca. I think I'm guessing that the memory through her entire life, I mean, they sort of allude to this, of this four days kept her going. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe kept her depression at bay. Who knows what would have happened had she not met Kincaid. But I mean, I don't think she would have gone anywhere, but perhaps she would have been less engaged in her own life, certainly. I mean, it, it did make clear to her what her life was going to be. You know, it was it seemed like it was sort of when she started seeing him, she you could see her contemplating this. Right. Who am I? Well, where is this going? What am I doing? And at least now she has some clarity. And I think, you know, we talked about the framing device with the kids. I think they were trying, obviously, to have that echo with them seeing their mom's thing gives them clarity on what they want to do. Again, you don't need that, but you can see what they're going for here. And um, so I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And, I, and of course we talk about what you think about after this film. Well, the big question is, could um, Robert and Francesca's relationship sustain over time? Um, would it have turned into, resentment on her part because of the guilt i mean how do you walk away from your family like that i don't know i i i have thought about this so much after watching it the last time and i think as heartbreaking as it is i mean i cried when i watched this movie because i'm like god these two people belong together can you imagine spending the rest of your life thinking about those four days thinking about this person who you are so connected to he says we're no longer one person um but also if she had run away with him, she loves her kids and she loved her husband and the guilt would have killed her. And it would have, it would have 
surely somehow damaged the relationship she had with Robert and then maybe overshadowed the great four days they had. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it also, on the other hand, you spend a lifetime looking back on these four days and thinking that was my true love. And I just kind of slogged through the rest of my life and never saw him again. Yeah. I mean, but they do show her when her husband is dying. I mean, she loves her husband too. I mean, it's, it's complicated and that's why the movie works so well because it isn't so cut and dry. I mean, you know, we, we recently watched for this podcast, we watched the notebook and the notebook. When I I was looking back at it, I'm like, it is trying so hard to be this movie, but with younger people, um, except for, you know, the, the framing, but uh, you know, the notebook that tells the story and the, Mm -hmm. but I, I feel like what that movie lacks is some of the nuance that this one has with the characters and their life situations. That one's just more of a slapdash version of this, I guess. So that's one of the things I guess I appreciated about it. You can see there's there's all these like, but what about, yes, but then, or, but you know what I mean? (laughs) You like go back and forth with all your arguments with yourself and whether or not they're justified in doing what they're doing and what you would do. And, you know, it's such an impossible decision. It really is. And another thing that you really feel in this movie that makes it work is that, you know, Clint Eastwood, for better or worse, is a slow director. His films are slow. They're longer. And sometimes they drag a little, but they always have room for that character development. You know, it's conversations. You actually get to see them know each other. You actually get to feel that sexual tension build and build and build because you can tell that they're into each other and that this works. And so I think that's another thing that really works in this movie. It's like they're not telling us that these two people are into each other. They're showing us how it happens. And that's really important. And I think, too, the fact that it is only over four days gives them this space as opposed to something that would take place over a longer period of time where you just sort of, you know, we meet yada, yada, yada. Now we're in love. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100 percent. I, w- I was thinking, wow, this is only supposed to happen over a span of four days. It doesn't seem rushed. In fact, I feel like we've watched them connect over a lifetime. And that's why it's so heartbreaking to us when she is grabbing the door handle in the truck and she just wants to get out so much. And she watches him drive away in the rain and he takes off um, the pendant and he wraps it around his rear view mirror. And I just want to melt. And I'm like, how how do we understand this connection so well when this film is only supposed to cover you know, not even a work week. That's really remarkable. Yeah, that's that's great storytelling and great acting. I mean, they they really sell it. I mean, it's a harder acting job for Meryl Streep than Clint Eastwood because she is the one with stakes, with something to lose. He's just a, a guy who kind of falls in love. But it's also smart of the movie to tell the movie from her perspective because she does have more of that push-pull kind of dynamic happening within herself. Yeah, and that scene where she's she's yanking the the handle and are wanting to yank the handle it's so well shot and her eyes convey everything and this is an aside but i loved that he was the guy standing out in the rain like i feel like that's a flip he was the vulnerable one and like in most movies it's the woman and i thought that was kind of a fascinating dynamic flip as i feel like a lot of the times too these movies are sort of told from the male perspective because the women don't have a lot of agency in these movies and it's very much flipped in this one and I thought that was kind of a, a neat thing too. It's it's funny for a guy like Clint Eastwood, whose entire career early on was built on machismo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he was incredible in this too. Um, and I, I just, 
I don't know. I'm thinking about all the the physical acting that Meryl Streep did and and how subtle it was when she would like touch her neck and her chest because she was so turned on by him and it was so perfect because it wasn't cheesy. It was real and just her facial expression. She's she is the queen, man. This is why Meryl Streep is who she is. She just knows the perfect tone at every turn. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. You know, she is famous for all those Oscar nominations, obviously, and wins. But, like, yeah. she's so good that even a relatively minor movie like this, and I mean minor artistically, yeah, she she elevates so much. It, it's crazy to me. I mean, you think of her in these big, the big movies she's in that are more like, but in the small movies like this, she still can really elevate the material. I mean, I'm a big fan of her anyway, but this this is one of my favorite performances of hers. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we watch uh, Out of Africa to see what you think, because that's another love story. Um, obviously, she was critically acclaimed for this one, but um, she plays a much different kind of woman, but also just really great performance. So I'm going to put that on the list. Um, you talked about the character development and just the dialogue between these two people. This is why I really want to watch the um, before sunset trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, those films remind me of, you know, the conversations that Robert and Francesca have in the kitchen, these long scenes with a lot of dialogue. So we, we got to watch those. Cause I think, I really think you'll enjoy those. Yeah. I, I I'm open to them. I like everybody involved with them. I just, it's one of those that have slipped through and I've never seen. I'm consuming seen, so. too. Yeah. And I feel like you got, you know, when we do talk about those, we got to watch all three. So we got to carve out some time for that. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about it because I want you to see the Lord of the Rings, a totally separate yeah. kind of movie, but you haven't seen it and it's very time consuming right. as well. So yeah. we got to figure out how to do trilogies because what are we going to do? Like a two hour podcast? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a lot to talk about. So uh, interesting. I did not know this. I, I checked out the Wikipedia page. They filmed this chronologically. Did you see that? I did. Yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood said it was important to do that because they were these two people getting to know each other in real life, just like, you know, Francesca and Robert. And I thought that was cool. I always wonder how you can, I don't know, how you can create a film or perform as an actor when you're kind of jumping all over the place. That must be really difficult. Yeah. Acting. I guess. Yeah. I just, I just feel like it would be so much easier if you like stick with the storyline and develop as the characters do, but that costs too much money, I think. Well, but I mean, that is one of the advantages just from a practical standpoint of this film. It's, it's, this movie takes place in like four locations. Most of it's yeah. in that kitchen. So yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a low budget thing. You can take a little more time. And actually I read too, that they finished the film in like 40 days and like that was 10 days ahead of schedule. So, I mean, that's the advantage. There's no special effects. There's no crazy crane shots. There's, it's just a yeah. straightforward. It's almost a play on film. Almost. Yeah. And not and not not to its detriment either. And I don't mean that in a negative way, because um, sometimes I do mean that in a negative way. Yeah. There's lots of movies yeah. where you, I don't know. It felt very filmic. It was a very beautiful movie. Um, I mean, I having been to Iowa lots of times, like. It's prettier to me in, on film than it is in real life, but. Um, yeah, it, it was a beautiful film as well. It's just like a, a moving story. Yeah. And it is 1965, so a lot has changed, even in small towns. Sure. Um, what else didn't we talk about? Well, one of the film? things 
I liked in this movie as well is I liked at the end when she went and befriended Mrs. Redfield because it this movie also in a way is providing sort of commentary on that lifestyle, right? You know, even Francesca's character talks about how, you know, there's all this love and support, but it is a small town and you can't escape who you are or who people think you are. And so when she says, I don't care what these people say, I'm going to make friends with that poor lady. She's a human being just like me. I thought that was kind of cool. And it, and it, I mean, I don't know. I, I liked that. It just gave me some more depth to the movie too, because I, I don't know. It's rejecting the sort of inherent conservatism of small town life. And I liked that. And then maybe that's because of where I grew up and everything. It just, it seemed cool to me. Yeah, I agree. I liked it too. Um, you know, uh, I didn't grow up necessarily in a small town like you did, but it's a small community and uh, everyone knew, you know, uh, the Greeks stick together and the immigrants stick together and everyone knows each other's business. And my parents got divorced, which never happened, never happened. It was frowned upon. It didn't matter if there was abuse involved or, you know, alcoholism, you stay together for the children and you stay together because you're not supposed to get divorced. And my mom did not do that. Uh, and there was talk and it was it wasn't scandalous like an affair, but there was talk. And I remember at five years old, people talking about it. I went to a Greek Orthodox elementary school and it was it was talked about. I didn't get invited to the McDonald's birthday party in kindergarten because I was, you know, the child of divorced parents. And I was the only wow. one in class who didn't get to go to that party. And it turned into a thing where my aunt wouldn't let her daughter go, my cousin, because she was so offended that this mother wouldn't invite me to the party. And it's such bullshit. So it is nice to see someone saying, F you, we're changing here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, I don't know. I, I'm curious about the author of the original novel, Waller, who wrote the book, if this is his background or if it's something he just has noticed or... It just seems very, like something that it's very inside. It seems like something, especially as relatively subtle as it was. I mean, the scene at the diner is not subtle, but I, I don't know. It doesn't also make a huge deal out of it either. It's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Again, it's, there's a lot of nuance to this movie and nothing hits you over the head too hard. And I think that's good. It's it's what life is like, typically speaking. Except for the kids, except for the kids, as you know, in the 90s. Yeah, that was, I, I don't yeah. even consider that part of the movie in a weird way. That's like its whole other yeah, thing. Exactly. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah, we that's can just not make, the story. Yeah, I, I think it's easy to just dismiss that. I, this might be one of those movies like I wish I, you could make a fan edit. Well, you can, but go in and just take all that crap out. You know what I mean? I think we talked about this before the film Julia and Julie with Meryl Streep again yes. as Julia Chubb yes. was fantastic. She's wonderful in that movie. Well, the other half of that movie is Amy Adams' modern character blogging about it. Cut all of her shit out, and you've got a great one-hour movie. And this reminds me of that same thing. Just cut anybody who's not Meryl Streep out of the movie, and you've got a great movie. Yeah, I remember watching Amy Adams and thinking, am I supposed to feel bad that you just spent your whole paycheck on these ingredients because you have this weird goal you can't let go of when people have real problems in their life? So yeah, all of that out. out. That would be great. And yeah. I love Amy Adams. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. But it, it's a yeah. it's an it's not a, a, a relatable character. Like if you're annoyed yeah. at one of the primary characters, that's not a great thing. Yeah. And actually, that, yeah. So anyway, that just reminds me. There's a few movies like that where you just wish you could ex excise certain parts. 
like all of Jar Jar yeah, being I... in the uh, first Star Wars prequel. But you've never seen those either. So what, uh, what does it matter? I've seen little bits and pieces. I wonder what Clint Eastwood would think of this now. I wonder if he would agree with us. Hmm. You know, looking at this almost 30 years later. I don't think I would want to meet him and find out. He's, uh, I think he'd scare the shit out of me if I met Clint Eastwood. You I think? Don't I don't know. I mean, he's become more stubborn in certain ways in his old age, obviously his conservatism and everything else. But I also feel like uh, through his films, he really mellowed out as the years went by. Well, that's what's weird to me about like a conservative like him, not to get too deep into politics, but you know, I know lots of people and some are very conservative and some are, and just sort of like, there's this sensitivity and tenderness that one can have and he seems to have it, but then that compassion and doesn't extend beyond certain parameters, I guess. So you can be, you know, very conservative and not necessarily compassionate towards certain groups of people, but in every other respect, it's a, it's a strange flaw of human life. You know what I mean? That some, that we all, I guess most of us, a lot of the times our, our empathy is confined to our group, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And it's fascinating to me that how a person can be like that. This I don't know what you yeah. I want you to do with that comment, but it's just something I was thinking no, about I with agree. him as I was watching yeah. the movie. Yeah, I just I just liked how this film really relaxed him all around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did seem like somebody you would want to hang out with and who had interesting things to say. Yeah, and how someone in their 40s at the time in 1995 who's seen who watched this movie, someone like my mom would fall in love with this character of Robert Kincaid. He mm -hmm. was pretty damn hot. I don't care how old he looked in the movie. I mean, he was hot. He was in great shape too. Did you see he took his shirt off and he looked like yeah. he was in his forties and not in his sixties. And just, um, just everything he was into was attractive, right? Especially to someone like Francesca, um, as opposed to her just farmer husband, routine, good man, wants to provide, not necessarily someone she's going to talk about philosophy and travel with. Um, you know, Robert's a reader. He's a farmer. I don't know. I mean, just she married the wrong guy, obviously. He's been all over the world, and that is a stark contrast to her life experience at this point. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, you, you definitely see the attraction for sure. Yeah. Whatever we talked about, is there anything else we've missed in this movie? Watch no, it. I, I think it's the thing. Yeah. Watch what did Marissa it. think? What did Marissa think? <laughs> So we waited to watch it so she could see it. And then she got too tired and went to bed halfway through. <laughs> That's such an Angelica move. It's why I have to watch movies in the middle of the afternoon now. I will fall asleep. I don't care how good a film is. Well, your schedule's all over the map anyway, though. It so. is. But I also think that happens to me on vacation. I just find like snuggling up on the couch and watching a movie is just so cozy. And just, I mean, it's you just fall asleep. This is what you do in middle age. It's tough. You need some cocaine to get you going before you watch something like this. Sure. Just kidding. Sure. Put that out. I don't do cocaine. Sure. Anymore. So, um, <laughs> what, uh, so I would recommend this to anybody. Um, I think I would not recommend it to teenagers. I think you have to be an adult who has experienced something in your life to get all of this, even though I can see how, you know, you teenagers might like it. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like you're, 
going to get a lot more of this if you've had a lifetime of experience. Absolutely. And that's why it hit different this time for me because I hadn't watched it in years and years. Yeah. Well, uh, are you ready to, for your for your challenge for next yes. week? Yes. Yeah, I'm excited. What are we watching? We're watching Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap is the name of the movie, but it's one of my top five movies of all time. I think it's one of the funniest movies ever made. It is a movie that gets funnier the more times you watch it. Um, it's a universe I can just sink into. If you like, you know, Best in Show or Waiting for Guffman or any of those Chris, uh, Christopher Guest movies, this is the precursor, direct starring him, but directed by Rob Reiner. I think it's an awesome, funny movie. It's a pop culture classic, and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I'm embarrassed I haven't watched this, to be honest with you. It's, you know, I, I love Christopher Guest. I love Fred Willard. I love Harry Shearer, Michael McKeon. They're so good. Um so yeah, I'm excited to watch this. Well, cool. Uh, we will uh, see you next week. And as always, folks, we want to remind you, love actually sucks. Were we supposed to do that together? No, it's impossible. We're giving we're up on, on that. We, we can't okay, do it together. We're the, we the sync issues. Just, yeah, just like Laura Linney's character in Love Actually, we give up. Film Swap is produced and hosted by Angelica Thornton and Nick Vole. You can watch or listen on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow Angelica on Twitter at AngelicaKATU and follow Nick at Nick Vole. Share your thoughts on the films we discussed there and we might just read them on the show. Music by John Michael Farley and Nick Vole.